1: Welcome inside the PGP, the permission-granted podcast, the show about the show, the show within the show. We appreciate you being part of the PGP, and every week you can catch this two different places on the normal DA Show iTunes feed, and then also, or Apple Podcast feed, or any other podcast feed for the DA Show, or its own PGP podcast feed as well. So Wednesdays have turned into the cutting room floor of the Mothership at the Movies, and today... We reviewed Eddie, the 1996 film starring Whoopi Goldberg, who comes out of the stands as a cab dispatcher slash limo driver to be the head coach as a diehard Knicks fan of the New York Knicks from an owner who, while Bill Burgess just bought the Knicks and wants to create some pizzazz and get the fans on board. And so having a fan as the coach seems to work. Whoopi ends up helping lead the Knicks out of the doldrums. They had lost 19 or 20 in a row. She helps put them on a win streak, and then they end up with a win-and-in playoff game against the Hornets, which leads to the ultimate scene, the final scene, basically, where in the middle of the game, at the end of the game, coming out of a timeout, she grabs the microphone from the PA and goes on a long spiel at midcourt, basically challenging Wild Bill to not move the team to St. Louis or sell the team to St. Louis. Business investors... The crowd gets on her side. They shame Wild Bill into not selling. And then, you know, the story ends well. And I guess the Knicks are big winners. So, Meraz, I before we get into the plot line, I want to just state this. For as unremarkable of a movie as this is in many ways, it's never remembered throughout history. Nobody ever says, oh, Eddie's a great basketball film. It actually has great acting in it. Yes. Whoopi is excellent. Every part of her being like a loudmouth New Yorker, big time Knicks fan, kind of getting on the side of the players and dealing with like her own personality with the dancers and everything. I think just her acting is excellent. So her getting a Razzie for this is really unfair.
2: I I agree. And I don't know if the Razzie is more of an anti-New York thing.
1: Oh,
2: I'm just going to take. Let me just take this spin on it, because I am somebody who sits on the couch, eats a lot of potato chips and dip, a lot of Mike yeah. and Ikes. I consume movies. Now, it would probably be remarkable for some of the great movies I've never seen. I love watching movies. I love watching shows. I love being a couch potato. It's probably what I do best. <laughs> that being said, I thought, or I, my basis for a good actor or an actress in a movie DA is throughout the movie I forget that they are this star or or whoever they are in real life, and I really buy into the character. And there are a lot of times where I'm just laughing like, oh, here's Will Ferrell being Will Ferrell or something like that. At no point watching Eddie did I say this is Whoopi Goldberg being Whoopi Goldberg. Like, I bought the character of the loud-mouthed New York Knicks fan, female down there, you know, calling uh, Avery Johnson a little roach, stuff like that. I thought she played off that loudmouth New York, oh, wow, I'm buying that this fan now becomes a coach, and I forget that it's Whoopi Goldberg. She was Edwina Franklin to me in this movie, and I think that that deserves credit. So when she wins a Razzie for, like, worst acting, to me, I can only interpret that as you don't appreciate or aren't a fan of loudmouth New Yorkers and, therefore, take that as as almost too much – too much over, over to come for her, and that's what you're looking at. Oh, oh, she's just doing a New York accent, and she's brutal. Where I watched it, maybe it's because I'm from New York, and I thought, wow, she was awesome in this movie.
1: She's an excellent actress, and Dennis Farina, who plays the original coach of the Knicks, Coach Bailey, who yeah. gets kind of pushed out, has been in Get Shorty, Snatch, Midnight Run. He's been in a million films. He's an excellent actor. He was right. so good in this. And even John Sally and Rick Fox, who have some acting chops as former athletes, they were very good in it. I couldn't really tell what Wild Bill was trying to be. I thought maybe he was trying to be Aussie at times. Then it was from the South until very late in the movie, we find out that he's from Texas. I didn't love his portrayal of a Texas guy, but he's a renowned actor as well. Right. It just has really good acting. And I think the Razzie comes from and this is in defense of your point, that it has such a bad reputation because on the surface, it just seems like another dorky, dopey sports film. Oh, Whoopi Goldberg ends up as the coach of the Knicks. Hilarity ensues. When your point was, well, if you can strip away the stigma of Eddie being a bad film, it's actually not a bad film. And I would agree, it's not a bad sports film. I found it relatively underwhelming, but it was not like Ed which is, you know, objectively a bad sports movie. And I would say it's better than D2 in a lot of ways as well. It's, you know, on a scale of one to 10, it's probably a five and a half as a sports movie, which, which means that the Razzie to me is about the expectation of, oh, this is just a stupid sports movie because Whoopi plays the coach of the Knicks.
2: I I think that's totally, totally in line. And you think about Whoopi in the 90s. She was really good in Bogus, obviously very good in the sister acts, not Andrew Bogus. There was a movie Mm -hmm. Bogus that was very good. And it's it's a rough stigma to me. And, and look, if it's a a five-and-a-half, that's fine. And maybe I overrated it a bit on Monday, but I think I just went in with such low expectations because of a scoffing at the idea of Whoopi Goldberg coaching the Knicks. But in reality, you bring up the acting in the movie I thought was good. The basketball on the floor was pretty good. Like we mentioned at Blue Chips when this whole thing started, the basketball was really good in Blue Chips when they involved the players. You know, a lot of the – there was so much basketball in this movie – You know, the up and down the floor, Mark Jackson running the point. I mean, things looked like basketball to me on the screen. So when I thought the acting was good, I thought the basketball was good. To me, those are two really good pillars for a sports movie. If the sports looks like sports and the acting is fairly good, to me that is a recipe for a a pretty good sports movie. And I will say this, maybe it is a five and a half or anything. I think Eddie's tarnished legacy is a product of the times of a flooded mediocre sports movie market, and it doesn't get the respect it deserves long-term.
1: Well, look, I agree. I had confused Eddie and Ed. I had thought that Eddie was the one with the monkey, chimpanzee, maybe even playing for a basketball team instead of the baseball team playing third base, and Matt LeBlanc was the coach of the Knicks. I had no idea either. It's the same summer they come out. One is Ed, one is Eddie. I don't think naming the movie Eddie did any favors either because... It doesn't tell you anything about the movie. I don't right. know. It it wasn't it wasn't marketed well, but here's the thing. The basketball is great cuz it's all basketball players. Right. Every se- it's basketball players that can act instead of actors playing basketball. So, and they've got real NBA players. Also, the, my big takeaway was this. Clearly the NBA gave it the green light. It got licensing to use the Knicks the hornets, the cavaliers, the kings official jerseys they're filming at madison square garden that's very obvious that's not some lot in in hollywood that's not a small gym in texas they are playing at madison square garden so it must have got the okay from the from the nba and i was surprised that there were some off color jokes And some of not-so-family-friendly stuff in this. Like, I think the problem here was that Eddie, on its surface, is like, oh, Whoopi Goldberg's the wacky coach of the Knicks, when it's not really a kid's movie. I mean, remember when they're all showering, and Eddie comes in and makes fun of what they look like showering, that they must have been in cold water too long? Right. I mean, she calls, like you said, Avery Johnson a little roach. She is there's a whole scene about them hooking up with groupies the Knicks players and about how Rick Fox has cheated on his wife and that he hooks up on the road all the time and she's trying to stop that there's the whole thing about players that don't care about the game that are sleeping through practice that are more worried about the groupies. I mean there's aside from like drug use and maybe like carrying guns at that time like a Gilbert Arena situation, they, they kind of touch on all of the things that the NBA was known as being bad for.
2: Right. And the idea that the NBA greenlit that, which I think also maybe brings into the problem with sports movies, and we've kind of done this exercise for a long time, that you have to go either one of two ways to be a sports movie. You have to either full-on go, rah, rah, this is for kids, or you have to go full-on, like, this is going to win awards, cinematically done you know any given sunday style and really if you have the in-between of we kind of making it seem like it's for kids but it's really for adults but it's not serious enough for adults to really love that you find this middle ground and therefore kind of get lost in the shuffle and disrespected as a sports movie
1: yeah it straddled a weird line i also thought that it was about 15 minutes too long some of the game action they really had a lot of game action i'm like i don't think we need like Six minutes on the Kings game. I think you know one or two <laughs> s- dunks is fine. It was, and the Hornets game takes forever, which is oh. the final game.
2: I mean, Larry Johnson is basically his N one mixtape, is what they're doing. Yeah, the
1: really. I mean, it's just it's really long. Now, here is what I would also say: it's not as crazy of a concept movie as it might seem on the surface. Because they found a good way to rationalize how a fan could be an attend, could be the head coach, right. That a new owner who's all about showbiz, think like a Charlie Finley type, <laughs> is more interested to have a fan favorite coach than the same old ways it's been being done because they're losing anyway, and ultimately wants to sell the team to new investors. And so he doesn't really care about the integrity of the coach or of the team, so in that way, it's not that crazy. It's a little crazy that the owner identifies Whoopi Goldberg from the top row of the stands, hears her cheering and is like, "We should get her as an associate head coach here to to win this honorary coach." But like, there's a lot of it that in the real world could in the sports world actually kind of make sense
2: yes the rationalization is key now there is some ridiculousness that goes hand in hand with that that i think does need to be broached like they never mention whether wild bill when he turns and sees her in the crowd acknowledges that that was also his driver that was calling the radio station <laughs> right right you know it, it's not as if he turns and goes this woman was driving me she's all over the place like that would have rationalized it i even more but to your point In 1996, the idea of a female coach would be so preposterous that that's kind of the ha-ha, that could never happen. 2020, they're very much, we've seen female assistant coaches, female officials, that could definitely happen. So it would make even more sense today, and maybe that's why I kind of watch it going, okay, well, this this is the crack a female gets, is, you know, she's a hardcore fan, that's how she earns her respect. And I guess through the lens of 1996, which is a long time ago now, as crazy as that sounds, for many people to write off the movie, it did seem so outlandish and baseless, and maybe a fan coming from the stands and being a female now makes more sense in 2020 than it did in 96, watching it in hindsight.
1: I thought that, you know what? This has a lot of baked-in jokes that a chick could never coach basketball in the NBA that now, not only would it be politically incorrect, the jokes wouldn't land because of Becky Hammond, because of more female voices around the game like i guess they interview the the construction worker about this and he's like oh oh, (laughs) my wife now has season tickets i don't want to go see this 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 team and then he kind of comes around once they start winning again but there's kind of a lot of like inherent of course Whoopi can't coach the team because she's female not because she's a fan but because she's female there's just a lot of female jokes in it and i'm like number one Whoopi would never take this gig anymore because it definitely is demeaning um, for a female in sports now. But also, right. you just couldn't make the jokes because they would just seem like that's a joke from 25 years ago. It's not right. a joke really that's funny anymore because Becky Hammond is actually a coach in the NBA.
2: Exactly. What are you talking about, that she can't draw and, and come up with the X's and O's? Of course she can. Or can't speak to the men and have adult conversations? Of course she can. Yes, absolutely. And, and to think that, that you know, 1996 a long time ago, but it also isn't. That that was the situation in '96 and what is 2020? It really it did put things in perspective on on where the world is and where the world was.
1: I wonder what's going on in 1996 because <laughs> in advanced analytics today, okay, Cap gives me these nuggets. 1997 was a bad year for Whoopi, coming off of Ed. She is nominated for a Eddie, Razzie Eddie, Eddie. as Eddie. Yeah, right, sorry, you
2: <laughs> still confusing. Him.
1: She was nominated for a Razzie for Worst Actress for this film. Same year, she was nominated for the film Bogus and won a Razzie for the classic Theodore Rex. I don't remember Theodore Rex, and you liked Bogus. Bogus Apparently, it was nominated for a Razzie.
2: The Razzie's got a real whoopee problem.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. But also nominated that year was Ed for Worst Picture.
2: Now, so we, 1990- were, we were all over the Razzies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Ed is a baseball playing monkey. Eddie gets a Razzie as well. It's Mighty Ducks 2 where the whole premise is kind of like broken from the start. It's also the year of Dunstan chucks in, checks in where Jason Alexander has a monkey checked into the hotel. And a series of other really good. Isn't Air Bud 96 as well? there's just a lot of crazy sports movies or weird movies being made at that time (sighs) i wonder what was in the water in hollywood in 96
2: so i just had to look this up because now i'm curious because this seemed to be the theme do you want to take a guess at what the best picture was in
1: 1996 Mm. let's see forrest gump was 94 i think yeah gosh 96
2: it's a famous Boy. movie.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Give it to me.
2: Braveheart. Okay. So that was a Braveheart year. So now I just did a quick 1996's release of most popular movies. Also in 96, A were Happy Gilmore and Space Jam.
1: Right, Happy Gilmore and Space Jam. That's right. So these kind of quirky, oddball sports movies. And Kingpin, the bowling movie. Wow. Wow.
2: So 1996, I, I don't know if it was just too much of a flooded market for weird sports movies. And now, you you know, you look back and you realize the legend of Happy Gilmore and Space Jam. Did movies like Ed and Eddie really have or D2 really have a chance?
1: You know, and we talked about the summer that had both Major League Two and Rookie of the Year, right? That was the yes. same summer.
2: Yes, and I think Little Big League as well was the same summer.
1: I think you're right. There is like a three or four year period where like 75% of the sports movies came out for the decade or for 20 years. They all came out of that time. And I guess maybe it's right before the internet. So maybe you could take more chances with movies. Right. And
2: by the way, D3, D3 came out in 96.
1: Oh, okay. So D3, and that was, I think, even worse than D2, right?
2: Yes, definitely worse. Definitely
1: worse. So, yeah, I mean, maybe just it's right before the internet. Hollywood's still flushed with cash. They're taking chances on every crazy movie. People are still going to the theaters in bunches. There's no Netflix. There's no internet. There's no streaming. There's no direct-to-DVD. It's just let's make as many movies as possible.
2: Celtic Pride was 1996.
1: Unbelievable.
2: I'm unbelievable. I've gone through this list of movies. It's unbelievable. 96 was, was some year in film. Jerry I Maguire, mean, we... another sports movie.
1: Unbelievable! We could do an entire year on the sports films of 96.
2: That is incredible. Uh, just incredible. I, I can't believe it. And Scream came out that year. Boy. I Braveheart, huh? Brave. Yeah, brave. So
1: do you have the nominees for Best Picture?
2: Um, so I'm seeing two of them right now. i got to find the other one. The other one that was nominated was Twister with Helen Hunt.
1: Wow, I can't believe that was nominated for Best Film. I mean, that's a film. It's not one of the best films in 96.
2: Well, hold on. Okay, no, no, no. That was just for acting. I have the five Academy okay. Award uh, okay. r- right here, okay? One one is ridiculous. Babe, the pig movie was nominated for Babe best was
1: nominated for Best Picture?
2: Isn't that ridiculous? Uh, if... Postino, the postman, which I've never heard of, was nominated. Okay. Sense and Sensibility, starring Lindsay Duran was nominated. Braveheart obviously won. And the other big runner up was Apollo thirteen came out in nineteen ninety
1: six. Okay, good film. Okay.
2: Wow. Well But, but Babe there as well. I like, see the kid, sports, everything is all over the place in ninety six.
1: You're right. It's just a boom time for Hollywood. They're just they're greenlighting everything.
2: What a weird year.
1: So one other, a couple of other notes on this before I let you off to side B and, and bogish. Number one, did you notice how when Wild Bill finally admits he's not going to sell the, the Knicks in front of the fans during this time out at the Garden, he calls them the New York City Knickerbockers? He owns the team and doesn't know they're not the New York City Knicks, they're the New York Knicks?
2: Well, again, it shows how detached he was and understanding the meaning. And remember, we just had a head coach who didn't even know, presumably, their European first-round draft pick's first name. So there was a lot of problems <laughs> with, with names and stuff with the Knicks.
1: I also had a problem with Eddie's lack of loyalty to her friend. Her friend basically gets her off the couch every day to get her over to Knicks games, although I guess huh. she loves the Knicks so much. But she doesn't want to dress up. She always dresses up in a jersey. Her friend likes to dress up in a slinky dress to draw attention to men. Right. And if only you remember, to sit
2: next to, them, by the way, guys with bags on their head and a fat guy. Right. Like, exactly. Those the, the yeah. Guys.
1: And she looked pretty good. She should right. have been, you know, doing doing better than those schlumps. <laughs> but, you know, when Eddie gets the job as the head coach of the Knicks, her friend is never around after that. It's only when they start winning. Does Eddie bring her back into the fold and have her at like practice and the Knicks City Dancers auditions? But there's, during the losing streak, she doesn't move her down to courtside. She should be right behind the bench. You know, the head coach of the Knicks, I'm sure, has the ability to say, okay, these are my two family seats. And she doesn't have any family, I guess. So yeah. I, I didn't love her lack of loyalty because her friend really was with her in the nosebleeds.
2: That's true. Unless we it was – not important because the friend wanted to stay in the nosebleeds, but then again, that wouldn't make sense because we know she wanted to move up anyway and show it off. That is true. It's a bad job by Edwina there. She should have took care of her friend. Uh, it's unacceptable to turn your back on friends that way. That That is true. I, I didn't break that down enough, DA. Do
1: <laughs> and did you notice that the Knicks are empty seats, empty arena, nobody cares, yeah. they're a losing team. They win one game. They finally win a game to break the losing streak, and then they show the marquee of MSG and it says sold out. Right. That they with one game breaking the losing streak, they they just went right back to selling out the garden. That's Shit. I, mean, I don't think Knicks fans are that fickle. It showed how starving they were for success. And also
2: I think it took maybe two or three wins for Eddie now to be on Letterman, which seemed a little bit <laughs> a little bit much. You know, I mean bear I mean basically yeah, you know, she's won two games in a week. We're putting on Letterman. How weak was the Letterman guest list that, that year?
1: I'm also going to do a little math here. When Eddie takes over, they're 13-49. Oh,
2: how did okay. we take so long to get here? The a, how 13, bad was the Eastern Conference? They're
1: 13-49, and 49, so they played 62 of the 82 games. Okay, Now, they've only got 20 games to go. Even if they win every game after that, they only get to 33 wins. And there's a play-in game in game 82 against the Hornets to get to the eight seed?
2: Uh, it's got to be the worst Eastern Conference of all time in the NBA. It's got to be. But I will give the directors and producers this: that I think almost accidentally they made it make sense because the team they are playing for this eight seed, presumably, is the Charlotte Hornets. The fact that Charlotte now, without us knowing, has undergone a coaching change, seemingly to bring in Coach Bailey, tells me that they must have been having a pretty rotten year to change coaches in February, let's say, too. So if they somehow were in play for the eighth seed with the Knicks, in a weird way, it makes sense at how bad the Eastern Conference was.
1: Okay. 33 and 49 gets into the playoffs?
2: Well, and that's why the game, that's why the movie ends there. I mean, they could have went to their first-round sweep against the Pacers or the Bulls, but we we know what's going to happen there. Eddie right? got them in the playoffs, they're out of the draft lottery, but there's no way in heck that team, led by Yvonne and Stacey Patton, especially after Nate Wilson blows out his knees, is yeah. going to go take care of business in the first round.
1: Unless, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, they're just going to get buzzsawed in three games by the Bulls that year. Right. That's, so, remember, that's the 72 Bulls year, I believe. The 72-win yeah. Bulls year.
2: So would have it would have been... It would have been a disaster for the Knicks in the first round, and that's why the movie didn't need to end there. It needed to end on a perfectly good note.
1: Although maybe that's the 95 season because Dennis Rodman is still on the spurs in this movie.
2: Oh, good point. So then you're really dealing with what, an Orlando-Houston situation?
1: Yeah, but you still get buzzsawed by Shaq and Penny. In right,
2: Evan's not Yvonne can't play defense, keep his feet still. He's going to go guard Shaq now in the paint? No chance.
1: It made me also realize... If I did go back to retro jerseys, and I know we did this on the show, that I don't own, er, I don't own jerseys anymore, and so I'm a sellout, yada yada yada.
2: <laughs> yeah, yada a, yada over the best part.
1: A number two teal Hornets grandma jersey is such a phenomenal retro jersey.
2: It is. It's amazing how teal now, when you look back on it, because I even look at this way with like classic San Jose Sharks jerseys as well. It, there's something about that look that is phenomenal. I guess the Sharks are more turquoise, but you get the drift.
1: Those Hornets jerseys. So I'm in sixth grade, I think, and the Hornets are finally catching some major major hype. That's LJ, Muggsy Bogues, Alonzo. They get to the playoffs. That's the year that Alonzo hits the, um, the fadeaway against the Celtics. They're hot. They win a playoff series. Everybody in my sixth grade class had Hornets jerseys. That was the big thing. If you had a Hornets jersey, what? that was a big thing. I did not. I had a Where were Hornets...
2: kids in Warwick, New York getting Hornets jerseys? The internet didn't exist.
1: Yeah, you had to go to like the starter, starter store. Or I guess if you could go to like Foot Locker, they they were selling jerseys in the mall at that time. That's ninety two, ninety three. If you go to the mall, you could still get a jersey and dick's sporting goods. But that was big. I did not own a jersey, but I did own a Charlotte Hornets t shirt. And, you know, in retrospect, the The turquoise Hornets jerseys with the pinstripes and the single digits, like LJ was number two, Muggsy was number one, is so cool. It's just like so, so cool. And the fact that they, then they went to purple, that was less cool. Then they changed the Hornets jerseys altogether, which was really not cool. Then they brought back the Hornets and they weren't cool still. And now they wear some of the throwbacks, but man, when LJ rocked, the Hornets, number two. It was great.
2: Yeah, it, and the evolution of Larry Johnson, too, because you know, if you're in your early 30s, you probably remember him on the Knicks hitting outside shots, but just a jacked-up Larry Johnson, LJ, yeah. in that pinstripe jersey, throwing it down. And now, ironically, you realize when you look at him, you can kind of see the comparisons people have for Zion Williamson uh, in just the look and style of play and all yeah. of that. It did give me a vibe of Zion when you're watching him fly in Eddie.
1: Although LJ was even more strong upper torso. He was yeah. more physical. A lot of the, the strength from Zion comes like below the hips. Right. And John LJ was just a tank yeah. above his waist.
2: Could you imagine your biceps ever looking like that? No. I mean, this no how? Chance. How is that possible? No chance. You, there's no way LJ ever had French onion dip in his life
1: before. No that. chance. I I do wonder if tomorrow we have to get into the Schwartz series of tweets.
2: Oh. But now, D.A., I took off on Thursday and Friday. Are you going to get the Schwartz series of tweets on no, me? No,
1: all right. Then we'll, we'll hold off on this, because... we, but this.
2: But this might deserve a whole – I actually thought – I'm glad you're bringing this up. I'm just going to give you an idea I thought of in my mind last night. Okay. How great a bit would it be if we could pull off, like D.A.'s favorite people in sports, to have the – let's get the five companies or whatever, the people Schwartz tweets at. The most somebody behind some of these Twitter accounts and get their thoughts on what that kind of tweet would be from Peter Schwartz and present them evidence of these tweets going other places and what they really think I think is a great series
1: yesterday. He was fishing for a free credential and travel to go cover NASCAR. (sighs) I
2: mean, and and, and again, This is a guy, if it's in the middle of an Islanders playoff hunt or there's a Cosmos soccer game on, he isn't sitting down to watch NASCAR. Like, it's not as if Pete has been longing for this NASCAR opportunity.
1: Yeah, right. Like, what's the bit behind him fishing a go? He just wants a free trip somewhere, so he'll gladly work your event?
2: He'll gladly work the event, and he wants to get into a sporting event because DA, he has an addiction. All kidding and jokes aside. okay. There is an addiction with Pete, and it's not about sitting down to enjoy a sporting event. There is the addiction there of, I'm going to go, and what can I get out of this sporting event? I'm going to take a million pictures to put on my Facebook page, and I'm going to walk out of something. Like Pete would fly home on Southwest Airlines with a tire if he could, <laughs> leaving a NASCAR event. He wants to go, Glad Hand people. And he wants to walk out of uh, Talladega Motor Speedway with something. A steering wheel cover, a glove, a face shield off a helmet, a freaking empty thing, a Pennzoil motor oil. There is something that Pete needs to bring home because he has a running situation of all of these freebies. And now, let's face it, the well is dry. It's been a long time since he got 15 lacrosse balls. He needs that tire. He needs that hubcap. He needs something.
1: So, he is desperate for Kevin Harvick's gas cap right now. Yes! Desperate.
2: Yes, and I understand this is laugh out loud funny, but it's also true. There is, like, something longing in him. It's an itch that needs to be scratched. Pete is an addictive personality, whether it's food, it's fast food, it's collectibles that aren't even worth anything. And apparently now his other thing on Twitter, every night he's got a different cup from an event he was at. I'm drinking out of this cup, Jets uh, Colts, 1996. Last, Last night was I'm drinking out of a cup from the Ringland Brothers Circus in Nassau Coliseum in the 90s. So it really makes me ask this question. Does he even have real glassware in the house? Or is everything, no. every souvenir cup no. that he's ever gotten? So all he does is hoard and collect things. He's addictive in that right. He wants the free trip. It's not about going to Perkins outside of uh, Dover, Delaware, Speedway. No, 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 no. It is about going in there, covering the event, taking a million pictures, to tell people you're there, and then coming home with something.
1: And could you imagine thinking that a media outlet's going to see Peter Schwartz tweet if you pay for my travel, pay for my hotel, and get me a credential, I'll cover your event. Could you imagine thinking that a media outlet would be like, oh, that sounds like a great deal. Why don't we fly a random guy we never worked with down to Darlington for the weekend to get him into a NASCAR event when he's never written or covered NASCAR?
2: And also unprofessional, right? Because if you're Pete and you really want to do that, you will do the homework and find the right email to send or the email address to send. Now, look, I have tweeted at certain guests to come on the show, but that is like a last resort. There's no contact. That's just Pete being very lazy it. would about be it.
1: like you tweeting, if you want to come on the show, any athlete, tomorrow, let me know. Right. Like, but, it's not, it wasn't even directed at anybody. It was how, like, if you want to pay for my travel, I'll cover your NASCAR event. Because he
2: Pete is, it's it's a disgrace, number one. Number two. It is almost like Pete is wearing this badge of honor of being not scared of coronavirus when attending a sporting event, and he is banking on people being petrified to go back to sports, and he wants to take advantage of a market he feels in his mind, which would be, I bet you reporters or fans don't want to go to all these events, and I want to put it out there that I will go, because he wants to get a leg up on getting free stuff.
1: The twisted, distorted logic of Peter Schwartz. Okay, well, that's Side A. More on the 1996 film Eddie with Andrew Bogus and Mraz coming up on Side B. All
2: right. Welcome into Side B, of the PGP. This is Mraz, host of Side B, as you just heard me with DA on Side A. I am joined by Andrew Bogish, whose connection is back. Bogish exploded off the scene on the PGP, and we ended it kind of Sopranos-like last week. Andrew, hello.
0: Oh Sean what i mean really a remarkable aside from the embarrassment of just disappearing but when we began and had so much time last week about this crappy connection for it to die at the most perfect moment not on the radio show which would have been bad but on the podcast which can deal with mistakes and technical flaws um it was it was pretty funny that it took a time it took its turn to actually crap out right there in the middle of recording last week.
2: And at the exact moment that I love getting to on every side of the PGP during Mothership and the Movies where I was going to ask you, you know, your biggest problem with the movie and the thing you like the most, and right there faded to black. I, I guess I could follow up by asking you before we get into Eddie real quickly, do you have a finishing thought on Slapshot, the thing you didn't like about the movie and the thing maybe you liked the most?
0: No, I maybe I've I've let, let my guard down here, or I'm fatigued from watching these movies so closely and intently. But um, I didn't have you know, and again, Slapshot is an all timer, so maybe that explains it. But even watching Ed, like there were not many detailed things that really bothered me. I mean, I think at one point they reference playing on a third straight day. Like they had played somewhere the night before they were playing a game and then someone said like, you know, we'll try again tomorrow night. And I'm like, well, there's definitely not three NBA games in three days, but like other than trying to figure out what arena they used, you know, in lieu of the actual Madison square garden, I didn't really spend too much time on, on the details of it. So maybe they did a good job um, of really not, you know, making the normal mistakes that other places have made, other movies have made that we've been looking at.
2: Interesting. And by the way, it's Eddie, not Ed. You and I know. I, I, I got,
0: I've got third base playing monkeys on the mind. I apologize. Screw, screwing, screwing this third base playing monkeys. Come on. <laughs> uh,
2: all right. So uh, let's just get into it here a little bit. Uh, things we didn't get to on the show that uh, I wanted to make sure we did get to. Some, well, I guess something I did bring up on the show that maybe we need to go deeper dive. Do you think, Bogus, the Knicks actually had talent and were a good team? And more specifically, Ivan, the Russian power forward, if you will, they make it seem like, "Are oh, you have Stacey Patton, you have Ivan, and you get no feel on if he's even
0: good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in real life, that's Dwayne Shinses, which I think is actually an assessment of Dwayne's NBA career. Like, was he actually that's good right. or, or just tall? Um, No, I, mean, I, I I guess the Knicks in, in you know Mark Jackson, Malik Sealy, John Sally at one point like those were legitimate NBA players. Um, right. So no, I, I think the Knicks were a good team, but they probably were kind of close to where they should have been. Like you know they should have been let's say they should not have had home court advantage. But seeds five through eight, I think, makes sense for that Knicks team, especially when you put it up against some of the other teams in the Eastern Conference that they played. During that 90s, it, was it 95 or 96 or 96, 97 Well, it must have been season. the
2: 95 season, and the movie was released in 96. We discussed okay. this. Okay, so yes. you know,
0: around then, I think that they were a decent team, but certainly not an upper echelon team in the Eastern Conference. Okay, now also,
2: Eddie, when she gets hired, she is paid $50,000 to finish the season. And I remember that being kind of astonishing to me, because Eddie, Edwina sits there and is kind of in shock why you're going to pay me $50,000 and maybe to a cab dispatcher that is obviously a lot of money. And in 96, it was different times as well. Struck me that Wild bill was actually kind of cheap for paying her $50,000, your thoughts.
0: Yeah. And, and even when uh, his assistant hands him a list of coaching candidates at one point early in the movie, he goes, what are these? They're social security numbers. And the guy goes, no, that's what they made last year. So like, he just doesn't seem to really understand any of it, right? I mean, he's just – he's almost too naive for his own good. But, I mean, I would probably be somewhat guilty of that anyway. I mean, there's no way I'm paying a coach I just hired out of the nosebleed seats, paying him or her anything close to even, like, the minimum coaching salary. I'm giving them something to make them feel, you know, to make them feel fine with the job. But the point is they have the job for no reason. So whatever I give them – is added on. So I, I that I didn't spend a second on that because I probably would have been in the same way greedy and or ignorant and paid them almost nothing.
2: That's fair because if you're not around it enough, maybe you don't understand. Now, this team, obviously Sparks can't take his pants off. We talked about the talent yeah. there as I'm going through all this. There are a couple points here with Eddie that doesn't make any sense to me. Number one, you can't throw a ref's toupee into the crowd where Fabio catches it and not get suspended. I mean, right. it almost just seemed like, again, we run into this situation with sports movies where some of the rules don't make sense while some of them don't. Now, we mentioned on the air, obviously, where are the technical fouls to stop the game and break out the mic. I'm looking for an Eddie suspension, and maybe while Bill having to talk to her, that, hey, you need to calm things down. You can't take off a ref's hairpiece and throw it into the crowd, Andrew.
0: No, you can't do that. You also, I mean, she made some missteps on a, on lower levels too. If like if you win a contest after the dopey guy does all the Harlem Globetrotter tricks and then bricks a free throw right. <laughs> in his full suit, like when you take over, you gotta kind of like you gotta read the room. She gets tossed from the very fir- that that very first game, does she not? I mean, you need to know right. like you know yell defense or whatever, but you can't get up and argue with the referee. And maybe if somebody handled that situation differently she'd be more in line moving forward. But I think, you know, you guys, I think, have a different, you and D had a different take on Eddie in general than I did as a coach. I She might be number two in my coach power rankings that we've gone through here because wow. most of them been knuck, most of them have been knuckleheads. I mean, teams have won in spite of them. But Reggie Dunlop is number one from Slapshot. And then it might be Edwina because, yeah, no one's perfect. And at times she was in wow. over her head, but... At the end of the day, Shawnee, she learned Russian to get to Ivan Overnight? Bef- what night? Overnight. Overnight, she befriends Rick Fox's character to try and talk him off the ledge personally. She she finally figures a way to get to Stacey Patton to get him to talk not in the third person and to be a useful basketball player. And in general, I mean, this is, Nick team again was 26 games under 500, had a 20-game losing streak, and somehow rallied in the continually down Eastern Conference to get itself a playoff spot because of her. So yes, there were definitely hiccups and things she needed to learn from, but in, at the end of the day, they won basketball games because of her. All right, so this is
2: interesting, and as I just mentioned, Saturday, I am off from the show on Thursday, Friday, but if there was an Eddie spillover poll question, you've just put Reggie Dunlop as the number one coach of all the movies we've watched. Are you telling me
0: that you think Edwina Franklin is a better coach than Gordon Bombay? Oh, I mean, Gordon Bombay's a mess. Gordon Bombay is a mess. Now, it works once, and then it falls apart, and then we see him again get completely overwhelmed by the situation. And start gelling his hair, wearing suits, pushing product, caring nothing about his team. He lets his team run amok. Guys are living outside the hockey law, roping, roping opponents down, starting fight. I mean, it was a mess. He, he almost, and again, at the end of Mighty Ducks 2, the only player on his roster with the talent to hang with Team Iceland is Adam Banks. And Banks goes, hey, miraculously, my wrist is better. I'm in. And he goes... No, sorry, man. We don't have a spot. We don't have a spot for you. I'd kill a kid to get, to get Adam Banks back in that, in that game. So, no, Gordon Bombay is definitely, I, I, he gets the hype. I understand it. But when push comes to shove, give me Edwina. Now, I don't know what she knows about hockey, Sean. But oh, I, I think as a coach, in terms of motivation, reaching her players, she did a fantastic job.
2: I would say this, folks. We've done the side B a long time together. You calling Edwina Franklin a better head coach than Gordon Bombay is going to create some buzz. I mean, this might be the big lead. This might be on for the winning. Finally, I'm going to get noticed. This is is quite the hot take and quite the debate. Maybe this carries on into a poll question. (laughs) Now, uh, I woke up on... Wednesday morning, Day of the Mothership of the Movies. I was the first of the whole show to watch Eddie. I, I put it out on Monday night. Uh, my wife got some projector thing. We put it on our fence. It was kind of cool. We did a little movie night outside. And I walked away maybe overhyping it to you guys a little bit, but just more blown away at how it wasn't bad. And I think that's what made me feel like it was good because I was expecting the worst. And the first thing out of DA's, you know, basically brain on Wednesday morning was I think we need to start picking more serious sports movies, which meant – obviously code for. <laughs> I, I I was not a big fan of Eddie. Were you a fan of Eddie? Do you lean more me or
0: more DA on this? Um definitely you. Now I'm I'm not gonna watch Eddie again once was enough. well uh, it I doesn't it's I, never I, replayed anywhere, not streaming anywhere, so it'd be very right. hard to but no it was it it has not angered me the way other movies did. I mean I appreciated the, the commitment from the NBA like I wish I w- I was paying attention in 95, 96 when this was being filmed like I, I want to know how they got those teams involved those players involved my first guess is maybe those teams didn't make the playoffs that year so instead of making the playoffs they were shuttled off to wherever they were shooting this movie and that's why the Hornets the Lakers the Bucks are involved and in you know even little the little Mugsy Bogues on crutches cameo near the end right um, I, I thought it, I thought it was pretty well done now As I said on the air, the idea of the Knicks being sold and moved out of New York to St. Louis is probably the most unbelievable thing we've been presented with throughout this entire exercise, including maybe a monkey playing third base in minor league baseball because baseball is crazy. And they've done crazy things like that to a certain extent. But no one would ever try to move the Knicks out of New York, nor the NBA ever allow him. And this movie was three seconds away from having that be reality. So, I mean, maybe I, that should anger me. I would still go with the 12-year-old comes, breaking his arm
2: and being the closer of the Cubs and then somehow winning hey, the World I don't, Series. I
0: don't have a medical degree. I don't know what's physically possible when tendons are, are healed the wrong way. But, yes, there's been a lot of, things we've been asked, a lot of times we've been asked to, to suspend disbelief. But the fact that the Knicks were about to be the St. Louis Knicks is just unacceptable to me.
2: All right. Now, this is just something we brought up in Side A. So before I let you go, I just want to get your thoughts on this. And the reason we, we brought this up was, you know, why was Eddie just getting these Razzies and not looked at as a good movie? 1996, bogus. Do you ready for this list of sports movies that came out in 1996? Yeah. Okay. Ed and Eddie came out. Okay, both ridiculed, made fun of, and everything. That same year, Space Jam, Happy Gilmore, Jerry Maguire, Kingpin, Celtic Pride. And I think I missed, oh, D3, the third Mighty Ducks came out mm-hmm. in 1996. And I might be missing one other. But think about that from a year from from just one genre, sports. That is an astronomical amount of sports movies for people to keep up with.
0: And they're almost all the same movie with just different characters and slight right. plot twists. And like a bad owner, a bad coach overcoming that, redemption at the end. But yeah, what was going on in the midnights that everyone was making movies about sports? Some of them very good and other ones involved um, in Orangutan and third base. So, but, but still, you're right. I mean, that, that is a remarkable amount of sports movies. I don't know that there have been that many made total since 1996, as were made just in that one year. It
2: is incredible. And just on that note, I gave DA a chance to guess this. I'm curious if you could guess it. The picture of the year in 1996. So we just named all those sports movies, but what one's picture of the year?
0: The Academy Award, 96. Yes. Um. It wasn't – it couldn't have been Forrest Gump, because that wouldn't have not lined up with John Sally's 25-year
2: Right, that was DA's remark. thought,
0: too which means it's not Philadelphia. Um, was it that Shakespeare in Love movie?
2: No, it was Braveheart. Okay. Braveheart. And Apollo 13 came out that year. Independence Day came out that year. Twister wow. came out that year. Uh, one of the nominees also, uh, Bogus, was Babe, the pig movie. It was actually one of the final five. <laughs> Slingblade okay. came out that year. Jack oh. with Robin Williams came out that year. Scream
0: came out that year.
2: Unbelievable. What, a, what, a,
0: what was going on in 96? What a movie lineup. Right.
2: The Nutty Professor, the Birdcage, Dunstan checks in. What a year. 96 is an incredible Dunstan year checks, for checks in. Dunstan, Dunstan <laughs> checks in. right in. All right, Bogish. Well, we will let you go on that. Biodome came out that year. <laughs> we'll let you go on that. You can follow Andrew Bogish on Twitter. At Andrew Bogish. And you can follow me at C B S. Have a great week, everyone.